this is such a privilege. Um, I'm going to start off with a little bit of a teaser. So, um, Will, next slide. I wonder if any of you know what this might be. Any idea at all? It's actually the human tongue (laughs) under a microscope. (laughs) I'm not very sure how I feel about having that in my mouth, but there it is. It's not a pretty sight, is it? How about this next one? I wonder whether you know what this might be. Prettier. This is the tip of a butterfly tongue under a microscope. Isn't that lovely? I wouldn't mind having that. That would be okay. (laughs) So today, we are going to put the tongue under the microscope of this. This is a lovely, big, black, shiny black Bible that Matt Smith handed me this morning. He lives with us, and he said, Fran, I think you might need this today. So we're going to be looking at the tongue under the microscope of this. We're in our teaching series on James. And uh, last week, Steve preached from James 2 on pleasing God. Today, we're going to look at James 3 under the heading of preventing forest fires, or will be revealed. Just on a side note, I wonder how many of you, the really attentive of you, have noticed that we're in a P series. So it started with painting the picture. Then we had persevering under trial, followed by paying attention, and then poor treatment, and finally pleasing God. Sorry, are you getting wet? (laughs) And so, my title is Preventing Forest Fires. James 3 is often known as the taming of the tongue passage. I've resisted asking why I've been chosen for that particular assignment. Um, But to be truthful, I think we have a wise eldership. And it's wise to choose people who can speak out of real experience. I have a big mouth. I have had to learn to control it. I've had to learn to tame it. I've had to learn to use it for good. So I pray that This morning, I'm bringing you something out of my own heart and my own experience. So I'm reading from James 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Consider what a great forest forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise, or in some translations, blessing, and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James doesn't paint a very pretty picture either, does he? A bit like that first picture that we saw of the tongue under the microscope. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil, a poison, a deadly poison. If I were to ask you, which part of your body do you think causes you to sin the most? I wonder how many of you would have come up with the tongue We don't often think, do we, about the sins of the mouth. I tend to think more often about my actions or my thoughts. But James puts quite an emphasis on the sins of the mouth. So basically the Bible sees it differently. The Bible says we have a mouth problem. I have a mouth problem. You have a mouth problem. Verse 2 says we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So this is for all of us. We all stumble. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So unless you're perfect, I admit, John Groves is very nearly perfect. He's practically Jesus. No, Marion's going, no, 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 no. No, he's not. (laughs) We all stumble. None of us are perfect. We get it wrong. Are you ready to agree with me on that one? I'm glad. So, the first thing James wants us to be aware of is the dangers of the tongue. And if we're talking fire, the first thing any fire safety awareness officer is going to want you to be aware of is the dangers of fire. I want you to understand the importance of this because James really wants you to understand the importance of this. There are some truths that James wants us to hear. The truth is, the words we say have weight. They are laden. They have power. They value. They matter. They have an impact. We need to take great care for that simple reason. Our words have power. Forest fires are more often due to carelessness than anything else. A carelessly dropped cigarette, a carelessly abandoned campfire. The lie or the myths that we tend to believe is that our words are just vapor. We speak them and that's it. They've gone, they don't matter, and we live in a world where uh, freedom of speech is, is really valued, and I value freedom of speech. 
But, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that I can say what I want, when I want to, without cost or consequence. In the right hands, in a controlled environment, fire can be a gift. It can be a good thing. So we don't just stop using fire. We don't um, say that fire safety and fire prevention is about not having fire. It's about preventing destructive fire, uncontrolled fire. So if you think about it, without fire, we'd have no light, we'd have no heat, we'd have no energy, we'd have no power. Fire in the right hands is a good thing. Have you ever paused to think how amazing our gift of speech is? This gift that God's given us that means we have the ability to communicate using speech. It's one of the things that entirely marks us out as being different from other created beings. Words are important to God. They're a good thing. Communication is important to God. It's a good thing. Very early on in Genesis, we see how God spoke and the world was made. There's an immense power in the spoken word. When God speaks, things happen. So God created all we see by his word. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was life. And God communicated with us and reached down to us through his word. Jesus, the word made flesh. We're created in God's image. So why do we think that when we speak, nothing happens? When God speaks, something happens. We're created in his image. When we speak, something happens. It's not that our words are just words, nothing more than verbal communication. It's not that there's no life force in our words. Let's just check that out. Let's just check that out and make sure. Is that right, Fran? Here are some of the words um, that, that you'll find in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue. As I read these to you, I want you to notice the positive and the negative. Okay? Words can be like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it, in the tongue, breaks the spirit. Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Those who guard their mouths and their tongue keep themselves from calamity. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Some commentators on the book of James liken James to the Proverbs of the New Testament because he draws a lot from Proverbs. It's fairly clear that he was immersed in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So John Piper says this about the book of James. He says, it is clear that he, James, is steeped in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and also in the teaching of the Lord Jesus, to which his own teaching has many parallels. Both the book of Proverbs and our Lord Jesus spoke with searching clarity about the nature and the use of the tongue. 
So Proverbs here is saying that our words are containers of power, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, that words have the power to wound or heal, to minister death or life, to encourage or to discourage, to build up or to tear down. James understands this, so he's saying don't underestimate the power of your tongue. Your words have impact on you and on those around you. And we all struggle with this. We're all at risk of setting a fire. So my question to you is, is the fire you're going to set going to be a destructive one or one that ignites like life? One that destroys like death or one that ignites like life. I made the point before that fire can be controlled or uncontrolled. And this is quite an important thing, again, that James wants us to get hold of. So if you think about fire, for hundreds of years, we have been harnessing fire for good. It's a gift. And once we understand its dangers, we can use it for good. The ability to control fire, to generate heat and light, make it possible for us to cook food. We can stay warm. And in the days of old, people kept predators at bay. They kept themselves safe using fire. Now we have numerous modern applications. So in the broadest sense, uh, fire is used by nearly every single human being on earth in a controlled setting every day. Every time you switch your light on at home, somewhere, fire is generating some energy. Every time you turn the ignition in your car, somewhere, combustion is occurring. Fire is happening. It's the same with the tongue. Once we understand its dangers, we can use it for good. But that involves this rather nasty word that we don't tend to like, which is control. The tongue is small, but it's a power both for good and ill. And it's out of proportion, James says, to its size. Its power is out of proportion to its size. So James likens the tongue to three tiny things. He likens the tongue to a bit in the mouth of a horse. He likens the tongue to a rudder steering a ship, and he likens the tongue to a spark. James 3, 3 to 5, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. We'll come back to the spark in a moment, but let's just consider the bit and the rudder. Horsey people, please forgive me. I'm not very technical when it comes to bits and bridles. But what I do know is that um, the headgear on a horse is the bridle, and it holds the bit in place against the horse's tongue. And it's a key thing when it comes to being able to control the horse. So um, I remember a time some years ago when, as a family, we went to France and somewhat recklessly we decided that it would be a great idea to go horse riding. We'd never been horse riding before, but, you know, you're on holiday and when you're not on holiday, you do things 
that are a bit reckless, don't you? I don't know why, but, <laughs> but you do. So off we went to go horse riding, and these animals were huge. They weren't just ponies. They were like big, hands-high horses. And I remember Jonathan <laughs> sitting atop this great big horse. It was very soon after we'd watched The Horse Whisperer. Have you seen that film where that dreadful thing happens with those horses? So Jonathan's looking very teeny on top of this great big horse. And if I'm honest, it did look a little bit scared. Um, and we, I'd, persuaded, <laughs> I'd persuaded a friend of ours to come riding with us. It took me ages to persuade her. So bless her, she came, so she gets the wayward horse. So my dear friend, who had taken a lot of persuading, gets the horse that decides it's hungry, and it goes off into the cornfield. And you're looking around, where's Alex gone? And all you can see is this much of her above the corn. She's kind of sitting there. There's no sign of the horse at all because it's busy eating away. And eventually, the, uh, the guy who's leading us on this horse trek gives it a whistle, and on it comes to join us again on the path. Uh, So that was the first event that sticks in my mind from horse riding together as a family. There was a more scary one, which actually still fills my mum heart with horror when I remember it, which was, again, having had the first experience, we decided to do it again. And uh, so here we are on another holiday, another horse trekking experience as a family, and we're, we're in a line. So there's a guy leading us, and then there's the three kids, Jonathan at the front, three kids, and me holding up the rear. And Mark, who would have been, he's our middle son, he would have been, I guess, about nine-ish. His horse stumbled, he slipped off the saddle, and he's hanging off the horse by his ankle, which is caught in the stirrup. I'm sat on this great big horse behind watching this, thinking, what do I do, what do I do? And his horse rears up in panic and starts spinning, and our Mark is spinning by his ankle on this horse. It was not nice, was it, love? (laughs) Anyway, fortunately, the guy who was leading the trek realized what was happening, jumped off his horse, grabbed Mark's horse by the reins and the bit, and had the horse under control. So two things there. One is you control the direction of the horse using the bit, like my friend Alex, who wasn't able to control hers, and you can control the strength of a horse using the bit, like the guy who jumped off and managed to get the horse back under control. What I want to just help us to understand here is our tongue can be like that piece of metal. This is what James is wanting us to understand, that our tongue can be that thing that controls the direction of our life. Have you thought about that? Our tongue can be the thing that controls our strength, our spiritual strength. Can this really be right? Let's just revisit Proverbs again a minute. Proverbs 18, verses 7 to 8 says, The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. It, the tongue, James says, corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. That's quite a monumental statement, isn't it? That that tiny little thing in our mouths can impact our body, our strength, 
and the course of our lives. So it seems the quality of our life has connection with our words. If you can't control your tongue, then you won't be able to control your body, your appetites, your desires, as the Bible puts it, your flesh, and the direction and quality of your life will be affected. So what we say over ourselves, about ourselves, is very important. What is your self-talk like, I wonder? Are you one of those people who rehearses, I can't do that? I'd never be able to do that. Oh, why am I so stupid? This will never change. It's always going to be like this. What are the things that you're saying to yourself? It's very important. If what we're rehearsing sounds like that, the words we speak over ourselves often reflect our core beliefs. And the more we rehearse them and keep saying them over ourselves, the more likely we are to unwittingly get stuck like the forest fire that is slowly smoldering away inside, leaving us barren and dry and scorched and stuck. Let's turn our attention to the rudder. I wonder how many of you have been to Southampton and seen those great big ships off the top car park in Ikea. Um, They can be huge, can't they? And yet that tiny rudder at the back turns the entire ship. The pilot can steer the ship wherever he wants it to go simply by directing the rudder. The message version puts it this way. This is what the message version says from that passage in James. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. We were hearing about storms earlier. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Is it possible that our mouths can determine the direction of our lives? The captain, captain of any ship knows that in a storm, it's the rudder that steers that ship through the storm to safety. If the captain loses control of the rudder, the ship is at the mercy of the storm. So in the old days, when a storm broke out at sea, you'd find the captain hanging onto the wheel that controlled the rudder. Sometimes he'd even be tied to it so that he wouldn't be washed off by a wave. And if he lost control of that rudder, if he stopped doing what he was doing, steering the boat into the waves, the boat could easily be destroyed. Maintaining control of the rudder when you're in a storm is vital. If you don't, you're at the mercy of the storm. Your tongue is like the rudder of that ship. If the captain doesn't keep the ship on a true course, it can end up going miles out of the direction that it's meant to be going in. So it can miss the exact coordinates of its destination, sometimes by miles. Similarly, we need to keep our tongues lined up with what the truth of God says for our life direction. So often, I don't know whether you do this, but so often I I try to get God to agree with me 
Do you do that? You know, oh God, that job would be such a good job for me. Don't you think that would be a really good job for me, God? You've got to agree with me. It's going to be good. Give me that job, Lord. That would be so good. That house. That house would suit us, God. What do you think, God? Don't you think that's a great idea? Do you ever do that or is it just me? <laughs> and there's, a, there's a, a preacher I heard once and he said this to me. It made quite an impact. He said, we are not trying to get God in agreement with our words. We are trying to get our words in agreement with God. Quite an important and releasing thing, I think, that. So what are you agreeing with in your heart? What are you agreeing with? What are you releasing with your words? What's your tongue like when the storm comes? How do you speak about your situation? How do you speak about your spouse when it's difficult, when there's a storm? How do you speak about your children when it's difficult, when there's a storm? Are you steering well in the face of the storm? What we speak out over our spouse, over our children, over our colleagues, over our friends is very important. It impacts the quality of that relationship and your direction of travel, how it will look in the future. The spark. Let's consider the spark. I'm a bit of a pyromaniac. Honestly, I am. Jonathan will tell you I've set fire to our kitchen five times. (laughs) The last time was only recently, just before we went to India in May, and I had some visitors staying, and I was busy cooking dinner, and my friend was sitting chatting to me in the kitchen while I was cooking, and she suddenly had this look of horror on her face, and she said, Fran, your oven glove's on fire. (laughs) And it was, and that's me. Um, Globally today, as much as five million square kilometers, which is an area of half the size of the United States, burns as a result of wildfire. Wildfire is, is devastating. It's untamed. We've been hearing about it on the news lately in Lancashire. Um, there have been some uncontrolled fires, haven't there? And similarly, the tongue can be a little spark that sets ablaze and consumes a whole forest of people, relationships, hearts, minds, reputations, careers, and marriages. Apparently, as many as 90% of forest fires are caused by the carelessness of human beings. Sparks often go unnoticed. It's the same with our words. During the World War, World War II, there was a poster that said, Careless lives, uh, careless talk costs lives. Careless talk costs lives. Unless we're mindful and careful about the way we talk, we can very easily, unknowingly, unwittingly, thoughtlessly ignite a forest with a spark. Careless talk includes gossip, slander, slur, sarcasm, lying, flattering, tail-bearing, loose-talking, stirring up division, dishing dirt, breaking confidences, passing along false information, spreading curses instead of blessings, and speaking negatively. (sighs) There's a list. All of these are destructive, 
and spread like a forest fire. All of us, including me, can put a hand up to say that we've stumbled in this way. I've stumbled in this way. But here's the good news. A spark can also start a good fire. I've said already, cars have spark plugs. That's what ignites the fuel to create power and energy. We have the ability to create power and energy and life with our tongues. We can harness our tongues to speak words that bring light and warmth, strength and power. With the help of the Holy Spirit, our tongue can do great good. It can heal, encourage, restore, build up, bring life, bring hope, stir up gifts, glorify God, praise, edify, comfort, speak faith, declare truth, bless, unlock situations, bring God's word in season. Now that's a better list, isn't it? With God-given wisdom, we can learn not only to control our tongue, but also to speak life-giving words that reflect the love of Jesus and what his word says. We can partner with God and speak in line with what he is saying, and yes, we can make things happen with our words. So how? How do we go about that? How do we do that? Let's look at what James says about taming and training. How do we prevent wild, uncontrolled forest fires? How do we harness our tongues? This is how. By allowing our tongue to be tamed and by training our tongue. Now notice I use the passive first and then the active by allowing our tongue to be tamed and by training our tongue. When Jonathan and I were in India recently, we had an encounter with elephants both in the wild and with tamed elephants. The wild elephant was dangerous. He was scary. He was a destructive force. He was carving up the jungle as he moved. The tame elephant was controlled. He was gentle, obedient to his master, disciplined and responsive. And as you can see, we felt pretty safe with him. Preventing forest fires isn't simply about not doing something, taming the tongue. Don't gossip, don't lie. Preventing forest fires is also about doing something intentional. It's about training the tongue. So James, in in chapter 3, verse 7, says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. You can't tame your tongue. I can't tame my tongue. So what hope is there for us? Well, you know, there is a man who can tame the tongue. He's the only perfect man. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Who do you know who did that? Only Jesus could do this. The image James uses here is powerful. For an animal to be tamed, it needs to know its master. For our tongue to be tamed, 
we need to know who our master is. No human being can tame the tongue, but the grace of God at work in a heart that knows Jesus as Lord, the regeneration that comes when we give our heart to God, when we confess him as Lord and submit ourselves to him, that is what can tame the tongue. It requires an encounter. It requires an encounter with the Lord Jesus. So when Isaiah encountered the Lord, what was the first thing he said? He said, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And what happened? An angel came down with a burning coal, placed it on his lips. touched Isaiah's lips and said, your guilt is taken away and your sins are forgiven. When Moses encounters God in the burning bush, he says to God, but I am a man of uncircumcised lips. In the Old Testament, circumcision was about um, being dedicated to God and being fit for service. And what, what Moses was saying is, I am unfit for service as the mouthpiece of Israel. That's what he was saying. But God says to him, now therefore, go. I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. If you want to speak words that bring life, then you need to have an encounter with the one who is life. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't encountered him as a life giver and the one who can make you clean, the one who can regenerate your heart, the one who is perfect and pure, the one who speaks life and health and wholeness, then you can encounter him today. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that you need him. You can't do this on your own. You can't tame your tongue on your own and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. It all starts with the heart. There's a connection, you see, between the heart and the tongue. If you remember, I said that James draws from Proverbs and he draws from the teachings of Jesus. So let's see what Jesus had to say. Jesus said in Luke 6, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So your mouth is an indicator of what's happening inside. If our heart has been and is being changed by the grace of God, then it will show in our speech. In the three years that I've been here, I've learned something very important. I've learned that no hope preach is complete without a quote from Spurgeon. (laughs) So here's mine. (laughs) No description of a man's character can be perfect which does not include his speech. The grace of God very speedily sweetens a man's tongue. And if his faith does not operate on his speech then surely it is not faith in the pure and holy God. If the tongue be set on fire with the fire of hell, then the heart is not on fire with the grace from heaven. Next slide, thank you. The doctor says, 
put out your tongue. We've all been there, haven't we, at the doctors? Put out your tongue. And he judges the symptoms of health or disease thereby. Assuredly, there is no better test of the inward character than the condition of the tongue. God grant that we may prove by our conversation that the Lord has reweaved us in our inner man. So the tongue is a muscle, and we need to train it. Once we've allowed Jesus to reweave us in our inner man by grace and to tame or subdue our tongue, it's clear from James, and it's clear from what the Bible says elsewhere, that it is my responsibility to train my tongue with the help of the Holy Spirit. Training usually involves practice, repetition, reinforcement, and exercise. The more we practice, the better we will get at it. Colossians 4 verse 6 says this, Let your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. Ephesians 5.19, speak to to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. You know, praise and thanksgiving are the weights with which we exercise our tongue. Use praise to strengthen your tongue. Use thanksgiving to strengthen your tongue. Do it intentionally. It will have an an impact. If you have a heavenly language, then use it more. If you'd like to have a heavenly language, then ask God for one and practice it. Practice it. It doesn't just come. Practice it. It's no coincidence, you know, that when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples... It was their tongue that was most evidently first affected. Have you thought about that? What better way to yield our tongue to God than to allow him to give us a heavenly or pure language? Speak out what God says. Agree with what God says with your words over yourself and over others. The more you do it, the more natural it becomes. Let's release life with our words. Let's be those who praise our God and Father and with the same tongue we bless each other with what we say. You know, there was an article in a paper uh, just recently that I read. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was one of those inspirational articles and it was about a, a man. His name was Mr. Gordon and he's a cleaner at the University of Bristol. And his students had gathered between them a load of money and they made a presentation to him. He was of Jamaican uh, extraction, I think. And they made a donation to him and they said, we would like you to go back home and visit your family. They must have known that he he wasn't able to do this. And uh, when the reporter started to tease out what was going on there, they discovered that the students were saying things like this about Mr. Gordon. If you're feeling really down, go and talk to Mr. Gordon, the cleaner. He'll make your day better. And Mr. Gordon himself said this. He said, I speak good to my students. I bless them. 
You know, every day, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in the playground, we have the opportunity to speak good to those around us and to bless them and to have an impact like the impact Mr. Gordon clearly had on the students at Bristol University. I remember um, when I was working uh, at a university myself, I would make the effort to thank the cleaner for cleaning the loos. You know, I'm so grateful that the loos are clean. Don't take it for granted. Thank them. It's a blessing at work that we can go and wash our hands and use facilities that are clean. I want to just finish with, um, with a little, uh, something that might just stay with you. Um, so next week, I believe, John is going to follow on with what James has to say about wisdom. And so I just thought a neat little link would be that we think about speaking wisely. So the W is for weight. Before you open your mouth, or even once you've opened your mouth, pause, wait, ask yourself this question. Why am I talking? <laughs> Why am I talking? The second one for I in wisely is impart life. Think about how you impart life. Why are you imparting with your words? If what you say is likely to leave somebody feeling negative, a bit down, a bit... mm, Do you need to say it? Say what God says. Remember your own encounter. Your own encounter is important in this. The more you're like Isaiah and you see God, the Holy One, the more it will impact the purity of your language. Listen more than you speak. That's quite a good one. Listen more than you speak. And the final one is yield. If we're a people who yield, remember in Romans, my body is a living sacrifice. That includes my tongue. If we're a people who yield, we are likely to be a people who speak in a more wholesome way people who bless, people who edify, people who encourage one another, not just within the body of Christ, but out in the world too. So I just want to take a moment and ask you just to close your eyes where you are right now. Just take some time just to connect your heart up with God. Just take a moment to listen to what he might be saying to you. And I want to start, first of all, I just want specifically to speak to people who know that they have been impacted by what has been said over them. If you are someone who knows that you have been impacted by negative words that have been spoken over you, that play over and over and over again in your mind... I want you to just bring that to God right now. If there's a thorn that has taken root, wounded you because mother, father, sister, brother, friend have spoken words over you that prevent you from really getting where you need to be, then just bring that to God right now. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for those particular individuals. I just pray, Lord God, that you would come to any place of woundedness. I want to pray, Lord God, that you would remove thorns of hurt that have come from spoken words. 
And I want to pray that you would just use the, anoint, uh, the anointing of your healing balm to bring peace where there has been brokenness. And if you're somebody like me who knows that you have spoken words that you wish you could retract, if you're someone like me who knows you have said things about your spouse, about your children, about your friends, that you wish you could rewind, just take a moment to be like Isaiah right now. Just take a moment to look at the holiness of God and to say, woe is me, for I am a man, I am a woman of unclean lips. But Lord God, I come to you and I receive your gift of healing and forgiveness and cleansing. And I thank you that I have a clean slate because of your ability to bring me to purity. And if you're somebody who just wants to be more effective with the impact of your words, if you're somebody who just wants to be more useful in what you say, then just take a moment to yield, just take a moment to surrender, just take a moment to invite God to come and take hold of your heart, to use your words, to anoint your tongue as you speak. We're going to, um, to just finish with a, a song that will allow you to respond. Um, so do what you wish with this. Will, I'm going to ask Will just to play this song. Um, and if you want to remain sitting, then do that. Respond in some way um, while you're listening to this. Mm-hmm.